it starts within us, like our thinking of how we think of ourselves and how we think of each other. So that's a, a daily action that we could take is, are we exploiting ourselves in, in consuming this good, whether it's something that we're eating or something that we're watching on TV and are, how are we treating others in our everyday life? So that's like the one like fundamental action. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. My name is Danny, and I'm the host. January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. In honor of this special month and issue, we're going to interview a few anti-trafficking organizations so that we can dive a little bit deeper into what is the status of human trafficking globally, but also locally. In this episode, you will meet Samantha Yanity from the Inter-Community Peace and Justice Center, which is based in Seattle. In this episode, we talk about how human trafficking is a modern form of slavery, the Catholic social teaching on human trafficking, how this issue intersects with other social justice issues, and actions that we can all take to combat this horrible, horrible situation that people still experience today. Don't forget to subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform of your choice. And if you enjoy this episode, I invite you to please share it on your social media. So without further ado, meet Samantha. Why don't you start off by just telling us about the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center? and um, your work around anti-trafficking. So Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center is based in Seattle, Washington. Um, we're a small staff, but we um, our work is upheld by 23 religious organizations. And um, how we got started um, in this anti-trafficking work is by the leadership of um, Catholic women religious who have really been the forerunners in anti-trafficking education, not just in the church, but in society at large, they have been the kind of the prophetic voice and witness of this movement. And um, our work started almost 30 years ago with the goal of systemic change. And um, that's roughly around this peak of um, anti-trafficking education. And so what we have carved out for ourselves has been um, two primary focuses, foci, I should say. Um, one is anti-trafficking education, which I am facilitating. Um, and then the advocacy part, which is advocacy alerts. We do, um, before COVID, we had um, monthly um, gatherings of um, folks meeting in, in downtown Seattle for a monthly vigil. Um, and then the third part has been our corporate social responsibility in which we engage stakeholders and um, talk about supply chains and um, kind of hold corporate organizations accountable. Um, for the work and the investments that they do. And that's through uh, 
Northwest Cry, Northwest Coalition for Responsible Investment. Um, so that's a, basically an overview of the work that we've done in terms of um, anti-trafficking efforts. And for me, um, my title is Justice Educator. And what that, and what that is, is a lot of different pieces. Um, I, in terms of just the anti-trafficking aspect, I am part of Washington State Advisory Committee on Trafficking, WASH Act, which is communicating with a bunch of different organizations like ourselves, but also direct support for survivors of trafficking and the Seattle Police Department and City of Seattle um, and, and um, other pieces of law enforcement. And so um, we gather quarterly to talk about the different um, facets of human trafficking and um, human trafficking prevention. And so for me, it's like the educational side. So I teach, um, I give presentations for parishes, for schools, um, primarily high school and middle school. And then I also um, run a program called Justice Cafes that's not solely on human trafficking, but it helps um, mobilize young adults to engage in these conversations. Well, you mentioned the different facets of human trafficking. And by the time that we publish and share this episode, it will be Human Trafficking Awareness Month in, in January. Um, talk a little bit about the different facets of human trafficking, as you put it, um, especially for, the, for folks who aren't very familiar with this issue or topic. So the International Labor Organization has estimated that globally there is approximately, um, although reports can indicate more, but they assume 40 million um, people worldwide are currently being trafficked. And here in the United States, there's quite a bit of people that are trafficked as well, which is always surprising to tell people that that there's human trafficking existing in the United States. And what that might look like is often in um, often in the media, it's it's sensationalized. And we see these movies like Taken, for example, we think it's like some stranger kidnapping someone and holding them hostage as like a sex slave or something like that. Um, and so although sexual exploitation is part of human trafficking. It's also, there's also labor trafficking, which people often don't realize that's what's happening. And so um, like here in the United States, for example, there's a high number of, uh, of trafficking, that, labor trafficking that occurs with, within, um, well, now we call them essential workers, but they're, they are the domestic workers um, people in the hospitality field, uh, migrant workers, people, you know, farming and growing our food. Um, and oftentimes what happens is when we read cases, for example, when we read about things like sexual, sexual assault, and we say that we think it's happening among strangers, but sometimes it's happening amongst amongst people's family members and people know the person because there is 
in order for this um, situation, for lack of a better word, to happen, there's often a trust or a bond that has been established with that person and then therefore um, violated. So it might be a situation when it comes to labor, it might be a situation where someone is looking for work and they confide in someone who could, who they think might be able to provide them work. And then that person ends up taking advantage of them. So, so there are plenty of cases where people have been essentially enslaved by their own family members. So that's a, just a one example. Yeah. And, and I want to underscore the word that you just used, enslaved. And it might come to a surprise for some people when they hear that um, slavery still exists and human trafficking is many times called modern day slavery. So can you maybe um, expand that? Why, why do we call human trafficking modern day slavery? So a lot of times when we think about the word slavery, we think in the past, we might think about the Atlantic slave trade, or we might think of maybe in scripture, the, the Jews that were sold into slavery in, in Egypt, and we might think about Moses. Um, but essentially what human trafficking is, is the buying and selling of people. If when in labor trafficking, it's when someone doesn't get a wage and they're forced under harsh conditions um, to work. Um, so the definition, this is through both the International Labor Organization, um, the Department of Labor, FBI uses this language as well. It's um, the conditions for these, for this to occur is force, fraud, or coercion, or a combination of all three. Unless you're under the age of 18, and then the conditions by which human trafficking um, would happen is you essentially exploit would be exploiting a, a child um, or a minor for labor and or um, sex. So with adults, it's a little bit more defined because of their age of consent. So we would say that it, it we think of, of it as being um, people being transported um, or harbored, but that doesn't necessarily have to occur. It's just someone being forced of fraud, engaged in fraud or coerced into um, a condition that they didn't choose. So if you think about in the past, what was slavery? They weren't working, like here in the United States, they weren't working the plantations out of choice. They were forced into it and bought and sold as property. And so the, the word here is um, treating people as if they're objects and not people with dignity. Your org I don't remember if you mentioned this, but your organization is based in Seattle. Um, yeah. And for for those for most listeners uh, who are based here in Oregon, what would you say is the um, the status of human trafficking in the Seattle Washington area, if if any? Seattle has been documented as having the one of the highest levels of of human trafficking in the United States. So I think we're the third largest trafficking hub. Um, the reason for that is kind of twofold. Um, one is because some might say it's because uh, 
we're a port city and that's sometimes brought up in conversation. It's also highly documented. Um, there's really not a lot of information as to the whys and hows. Um, one of the things that makes Seattle unique is we have a strip of uh, highway called Aurora, where there's a lot of sex trafficking that happens, a lot of drug use, sex trafficking, um, and things that happen along that strip of highway um, because there's a lot of hotels and it's very easy access. And those hotels were built in the 60s during the World Fair to accommodate travelers and then just stayed there. And the uptick in drug use during the 90s um, kind of encouraged this lifestyle um, for a lack of a better phrase. Um, it kind of, I don't, I don't want to say lifestyle, but I want to say it encouraged a lot more drug use. Um, and so that kind of opened up a caveat for other things that overlap. So other intersections that of, of these issues. Um, and so human trafficking was one of them because um, there's a lot of runaways along this strip of highway. There's a lot of, um, you'll see like younger people just right outside of hotels, like young girls being um, harassed. It's very disheartening. Does your organization um, only work on human trafficking at the local level, or is it also trying to fight this issue kind of at a broader scale in different places? We interact with a lot of local organizations, schools, and parishes. But the idea is that we think globally, act locally, so that we provide people with insights that this is a global phenomenon, but also driving home the importance that it's not happening just in one demographic or one country or one uh, area or economic status. I love that, that, that model, right? Think globally, act locally. And to, to me, what comes to mind is Catholic social teaching and its principles of solidarity and subsidiarity. Um, I know that since your, your role is mainly education-based, um, for us Catholics, what are the, 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 the teachings, the Catholic social teaching on this issue? And why should Catholics care about it based on that teaching? It's a great question. So... One of the first things when, when I teach about Catholic social teaching, I will ask students, um, we talk about the Ten Commandments, right? The most fundamental parts of um, our social, I would say Christians, like social ethics, right? It's like ethics 101. And I, I'll often ask students, um, I'll put up maybe the 10 commandments on a slide and I'll say, read them and tell me what you think, um, where, where do you think human trafficking falls under? And one of the things that, well, actually I should say almost every single time a student will raise their hand and say, oh, I know thou shall not kill or thou shall not steal. Um, and um, I said, that's right. It's thou shall not steal and the, and they see the kids seventh and eighth graders will will see um it's stealing and i say why is human trafficking stealing and they'll say oh and they're stealing their their personhood or their body or 
their being or they're stealing that person's labor or um, their dignity. I mean, these are these are children, or not ch- well, not children, they're youth, but still they're young people and they, they're the prophets and <laughs> giving us the answers. And so that's one of the fundamental pieces that I drive home. I start with like the basics of like the 10 commandments and I go into like showing um, a little bit of, of scripture um, but it's also written into the catechism. I just want to share this. Um, this is something that um, that Pope Francis has has written. Um, this is in Laudato Si, um, paragraph 123. He says, the culture of relative, relativism is the same disorder which drives one person to take advantage of another, to treat others as mere objects imposing forced labor on them or enslaving them to pay their debts. The same kind of thinking leads to the exploitation of children and the abscess of object, objective truths or sound principles other than the satisfaction of our own desires and immediate needs. Um, he continues on to talk about these intersections, but um, I, I, I like the the fundamental truth here is the exploitation of persons and the eradication of their of all of our intrinsic dignity that we all hold. And I think um, when we talk about um, these principles of of Catholic social teaching, you could say all of them, like you mentioned, subsidiarity or solidarity, um, human dignity, care for the for for the common home, all of all of them intersect because this is an issue that hits on all these different points. It, it, it hits at the core of who we are as people and it defies what God says that we are, which is uh, loved and, and beings with belonging and um, with a purpose. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting that you quote from Laudato Si because Many of us know that it's uh, the first encyclical on the environment, right? And so he talks about how everything is connected, right? All things, whether they're religious or social or environmental. Um, So I think that's at a very point to emphasize how this issue of human trafficking intersect with like with race, with gender, with the environment, so on and so forth. Is that something that you... um, try to surface in your teaching? Yes. Um, I, well, with all social justice issues, um, if you dig into them, you can see that these, these roots are, um, they're all, they're all in intersection. They're all intersectional. They're all, um, hit, like you mentioned, all these different points. If you look at, um, Human trafficking. So I, when I give the presentations, for example, I try to draw, drive home the fact um, we, when we talk about the historic roots, right? And I bring up um, uh, the Atlantic slave trade, but I also emphasize um, that it's often um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color that are enslaved three and four times as many times as. as um, white people are so that people can see that this is also a racial issue as well. Um, and, and roughly 84% of all, um, 
human trafficking or, or trafficked victims, I don't want to call them victims, um, but trafficked persons are um, w- women and girls. So it's also hitting on gender. Um, and then you go in, if you look deeper into the types of work that people are doing, when you talk about labor trafficking, it's like I mentioned earlier, domestic work, farming, um, hospitality services. These are often the, we, we might call them, like I said earlier, we might call them like essential work, but we've always kind of treated that type of, of, or that those forms of labor as a less than, you know, or, um, and essentially, um, marginalizing people from based off of their, the type of work that they do. So it hits on class and economics. Um, I often bring in the fact that a lot of people, particularly in the United States that do um, this work um, as enslaved persons are also immigrants to our country. And so I talk about the foundations of of our country being immigrant um, labor and how we've exploited that. and so it hits on all, like I said, it hits on all these things. I talk about um, these different, the environment, right? We demand uh, cheap, cheap goods as well as cheap labor. And that has a huge impact. Uh, th- these disposable goods, this fast fashion that is created by enslaved people um, is having a huge impact on our uh, environment. So you can see is as why, I, like you said, I, I've used uh, Lodato C and why I picked that is because Francis calls, he mentions the in, integral ecology, showing the interweaving of all of our lives and that these justice issues hit on all these different parts of, of life. I'd love to go back to you. Um... I'm just curious, what got you into this work? What were you doing, you know, before you were the justice educator for the IPJC? Um, why is this something that you're personally passionate about? It's one that I had to discern for quite a while. Um, before I moved out to Seattle, I was in Chicago uh, working on uh, a dual masters. One was in divinity and one was in social justice. And so while I was in graduate school, um, I went into grad school to study social justice and these two fields to, um, with the intention of working in the serving the church, but I didn't know what that would look like. Um, because I wasn't, I didn't want to be necessarily a past pastoral associate. I, I didn't really want to work in campus ministry per se. Um, I wanted to work in social justice in terms of, cause I had spent about 10 or 11 years of my life in um, direct support services, um, working with people that had been pushed into the margins of society. And I saw that impact firsthand. And I had a lot of compassion fatigue to the point where it brought me in to a therapist's office. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore because I, witnessing and reading, you read case uh, studies or you read like case files and you're documenting things like abuse um, or 
um, neglect of someone who's in a senior home and you're documenting these things. And after a while, it gets really hard, but that passion for justice didn't die. I just needed to transform my my work. Um, So I went into studies and I I didn't really know what I was going to do until I um, wrote down a list of things I wanted. And ironically, that's what I do. I wanted to edit a publication, which is what I do. I wanted to um, teach uh, and work with young people. I wanted to hit on all these um, these justice uh, issues, and I couldn't decide because I was trying to find a focus in uh, for graduate school. And my thesis was on the consistent life ethic that Cardinal Bernadine um, talks about, and how as Catholics we're called to work on. You know, we're supposed to have a consistent ethic that's a kind of like that womb to womb to tomb life ethic. Um, and so I made a list of things. I was like, I'm interested in immigration, climate change, human trafficking, race relations. And this kind of all hits on in everything at once. And so uh, then I found this, this position. I thought, okay, this is, this is the right match for me. Yeah, there's lots of lessons that listeners can draw from your experience, especially how what I heard um, your experience with service. Right and how service right um, informed your passion for for justice and addressing the the root causes of these issues um, at the systemic level, at the um, the institutional level, and the political level, right? And we know that the U.S. bishops talk about the two the two feet of love. In other words, the two the two primary ways to love is direct service and um, social justice. And I also uh, resonated with your story because I had a similar experience going to grad school, um, actually for being a teacher of English to speakers of other languages. And I also had to go through the discernment process of what my thesis was going to be on. And I too was very, um, I knew that I wanted to, to work for the church in some capacity, focusing on social issues. And my path was similar to you. You know, I eventually made some notes of, you know, what I wanted to do. And the work that I'm doing now is exactly that. So it's just great how, how God works. And so I kind of just wanted to, to share that as well. It's surprising um, because I didn't realize um, how, how I had a sense of like the what that I was after, but the how I, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to come together. And it's really interesting when you see these pieces of your life that you think are just passing moments and then they're integrated. Like they don't have any meaning, you know? And <laughs> then um, when you reach the point that you had been hoping for and visualizing for, you realize how all these pieces together. Um, it's wonderful. Well, Samantha, um, where where can listeners go if they want to learn more about the your organization, the intercommunity of Peace Justice Center, um, and human trafficking in general? So you can go to our website, which is www.ipjc.org, and um, under there's a tab that says um, resources we have resources and they're listed by issue area so we have a whole list of resources not just 
things that um, we've created, but um, for other um, publications from different organizations that we support as well. So there's a whole section on human trafficking and um, you can also, can always contact me. <laughs> and how can folks begin to take action? Um, this might be a good time to plug the events that you're also going to be helping us with in January. Um, so can you share a little bit about um, what, so this won't be the last time our listeners will, will hear from you, but so what, what, what kind of topics will you be presenting at St. Anthony in January? Sure. So, um, um, well, some basic everyday um, actions that people can take is to think about um, what they're consuming and um, in terms of what media they're consuming, right? So the idea is that it starts within us, like our thinking of how we think of ourselves and how we think of each other. So that's a daily action that we could take is, are we exploiting ourselves in, in consuming this good, whether it's something that we're eating or something that we're watching on TV and our, how are we treating others in our everyday life? So that's like the one like fundamental action. Um, and that also impacts, um, the way that we purchase, the way that we think about ourselves, right? It might sound very small, but it has a big impact on the lives of others. The more that we start thinking about um, how we treat ourselves and others in small ways, even from the way that we maybe we shop fair trade or we buy something from, straight from a local farmer as opposed to a large, larger um chain the more we do that the more the it lessens the demand for for cheap goods and services and it also lessens the demand for exploitation on a deeper level um so that's something that you can think of like just in small ways if we're treating people with more dignity and also treating ourselves with dignity so those are some of the everyday things um and in terms of the events in january i think we have January 11th presentation is geared towards adults because we will be going a little bit more deeper into these facets of human trafficking and um, a little deeper into the theological piece of Catholic social teaching, asking these questions about human dignity and what can we do as persons of the church to um, work towards a more just and dignified life. Well, Samantha, thanks again for um, sharing about your organization and the work that you do. Before we close, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? No, just to encourage everyone to, like I brought up earlier, to think more deeply about living intentionally and um, what that might mean in your everyday life. All right, that's it for another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. Thank you, Samantha, for coming on the podcast to talk to us about the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center and how it thinks globally but acts locally. In the next episode, you will meet Jennifer, the Executive Director of U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking. 
tune into this episode to learn more about this organization and um, how it combats human trafficking, specifically its campaign to uh, keep children safer online. Now that more and more children are spending their time in front of computers for um, school, Jennifer also talks to us about how um, human trafficking intersects with immigration and forced displacement. We talk about several other topics, so I invite you to listen in as soon as we publish that episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts or really any of the several podcast platforms of your choice. And if you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to share it on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other social media platform. If you're a St. Anthony Catholic Community member listening to this episode and want to learn more from Samantha, I invite you to register to for her Hidden in Plain Sight presentation for adults on January 11th at 6 p.m. You can register and learn more on Realm. If you're not a St. Anthony Catholic Community member, you can email me at drauda at satigert.org if you would like to participate in um, this presentation that Samantha is going to be facilitating. So until next time, I invite us all to take to heart the words that Samantha closed our interview Let us live more intentionally and consider how we may be um, unknowingly contributing to this issue of human trafficking through our purchasing choices. Take care, y'all.